Blog Talk Radio. Welcome back, you health renaissance people. Yes, today, we're, this is day two of our cancer theory or series. Now, what we're looking at, if you thought that cancer is something attacking you, some virus, fungus, bacteria, or just bad genes, bad luck, okay, you know, and... So then it would make sense to get very aggressive therapy where you cut out tumors, you you radiate the body, burn it out, or you could actually do highly toxic therapy such as chemotherapy that destroys all the fast-growing cells in the body. So hair falls out, mucous membranes fall out, <clears throat> but hopefully you treat it with just enough poison to kill the tumor, but not too much to kill the patient. Now, this is going to sound crazy, but what if what if cancer was a metabolic disease? Now, this is a totally different thought and approach on it because what that means is that cancer is an adaptation to a toxic deficient environment. So that means that cancer is going to be, if it's a uh, metabolic disease, that means that all the therapies, the chemotherapy, the the poisoning of the body, are completely ineffective and can actually promote cancer. And guess what? <clears throat> when you go to Google Scholar and type in cancer as a metabolic disease, you have about 3 million hits. And so we're going to go over that because if it is a metabolic disease... <clears throat> Um, obviously, that we need to strengthen our immune system, not weaken it. So let's go over a couple. We're going to answer a couple of questions in this half-hour show um, because you've been told a lot of things that are lies. People are saying, well, you have more cancer because we're just living longer. <clears throat> we're also going to look a little bit into our food supply. And also, let's rethink uh, about the therapies that are suggested. I mean, is chemotherapy the best choice? And are there safer, more um, effective therapies out there? So there's a brilliant article. Now, this was back in 2009 by Benjamin Radford uh, from Live Science. And the title of the article is, Human Lifespans Have Remained Nearly Constant for 2,000 Years. Now, that's a pretty big statement because you hear all these people talking about, well, well, we're not dying at 30 anymore and that's the case. Well, it's actually not true. When you factor out, okay, and the difference between life expectancy and lifespan, and this is what, what people are not looking at the difference. Life expectancy is a rough estimation. Lifespan is a whole different, new, different, different term. Now, lifespan, okay, is uh, in, it, like how long a person lives. If you factor out infant mortality, um, then lifespan really hasn't changed in about 2,000 years. And in fact, the decreasing infant mortality is... Um, has been a new phenomenon because of clean water, uh, fresh, fresh vegetables, fruits, sewage, a cleanliness environment. In fact, in 1907, we had about a 9% uh, infant mentality rate. Um, it decreased down to 0.7% in 2007. Uh, and I got to tell you, in 1907, 
uh, Americans were not all dying at 46 years old. But that was the life expectancy at that age when you factor in infant mortality rate. Uh, use this as an example. If um, a pair of twins are born in 1900, one dies at birth, the other lives to 90. Uh, what was their uh, life uh, expectancy or lifespan? It was around average 45 years, even though one lived to 90 and one died. So what data do we have? Well, when we look at the journal article from Hormones, and what they did in 2008, they actually had very accurate data from people living in the 4th and century, uh, 4th and 5th century in Greece. Uh, so we're talking about 18, 1900 years ago. Now, when we look at this, um, they have 83 people who, uh, I mean, birth and death were recorded accurately. And they found they lived between 71 and 83 years old. Well, what about before that? When we look at Plato, um, in the book The Laws, he stated that the guardians of the laws should rule between 50 years old and, and 70, that that's the primary age that they should serve on these boards. Aristotle um, said that uh, that women should marry about 18 years old and men should marry at around 37. When you look at Aristotle, uh, who commented on on this book at the time, Spartans uh, Oligdria, uh, there's, a, I mean, we're looking at Strabo. Okay, now he was uh, a brilliant statesman, died at 88. Sophocles died at 90. Uh, Democrates uh, lived between 90 and 109. Alex, Alexis, it, he was a comet poet back in the 4th century. He died at 100. Isocrates died at uh, 98. Uh, Hieronymus, okay, and this, I like this. you got to read this one part. Okay, he lived to 104 and, quote, went to war and stood much toil and many wounds, lived 104 years. He was still vigorous in his marital relations and in all his faculties, lacking none of the symptoms of ill health. Don't you love that? I mean, isn't that cool? Now, think of that. If lifespan hasn't changed in 2,000 years. And so, but look at these guys that are living 70, 80, 90, 100, 110 years. These guys were not living the last 20, 30 years on a tremendous amount of mega, um, megadose medications living in an assisted living center. These guys were contributing, making a difference in the world. Uh, so what's causing our population to get sick and destroyed? Well, let's look at the food supply. Okay, now if you look at the interdisciplinary toxicology, uh, now this was a brilliant journal article, and they say that glyphosates, and this is um, an herbicide that actually was considered safe, and it's used in America mainly, but there are some uses in Europe. And in fact, it turns out that this glyphosate-soaked um, herbicide can actually cause celiac sprue gluten intolerance. So why is the population um, sensitive to gluten now or gluten intolerance? Well, it turns out that this uh, herbicide can cause nausea, diarrhea, skin rashes, but also kidney failure and cancer. 
now you might think, well, how could this have got into our 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 system, our food supply? How could we have something so poisonous? Uh, well, because it's um, made on outdated um, outdated science. And in fact, that we know that the glyphosates can increase non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, reproductive issues, fertility, fertility issues, miscarriages, and it's in almost all non-organic wheat crops. Uh, in fact, they spray uh, this herbicide on sugar cane now, and there's a massive rise in kidney failure amongst sugar workers in Central America. Now, um, also, if you look at the journal Environmental Health, what they say is these um, uh, glyphosate-based herbicides that that the industry that made the that makes the herbicides did the testing and did the studies, and they said that 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 they're based on very low-risk, uh, non-targeted species, <clears throat> and the science that they've used. Um, has been horrible. And what they recommend is that the World Health Organization's International Agency for Research on Cancer, they recently concluded that glyphosates are carcinogenic to humans. And they say that this is, uh, the glyphosate-based herbicides are contaminating the water sources, air ag in agricultural regions, uh, they recommended, or they, the regulatory estimates of tolerable daily intakes for glyphosates are based on outdated science. Uh, so just when you're looking at just this one herbicide, you're looking at incredibly toxic. And in, in fact, the glyphosate-based herbicides are endocrine disruptors. And these are carcinogens. They can cause muted, mutagenesis. They can cause uh, reproductive toxics. Okay, so it can interrupt um, how cells are formed, diseases. It's incredible. So, and this has been going on since the 90s. Uh, so, according to Endocrine Review in 2012, thus fundamental changes in chemical testing and safety determination um, must be done in order to protect our population. Now, uh, it, we go on to not only is glyphosate. So now think of this. If cancer is a disease of metabolism, that means that your body, if you're being poisoned, it forms cancer. Glyphosate is a poison. It's in most grain products. It's in our animal feed. Uh, it's actually getting into our water system and our air. And it can cause cancer. Uh, according to Endocrine Review, they talk about glyphosates affect male and female reproduction, breast cancer, prostate cancer, thyroid metabolism, obesity. I mean, this is all the stuff that we're, we're exposed to and we're achieving. So you might think, okay, so we've got this cancer epidemic. We've got one in two people being affected by cancer. Um, how come oncologists don't come in and say, Look, dude, we're surrounded by toxic stuff. You need to radically alter your diet, and that's going to radically alter your health. Oncologists are not doing that. They're not suggesting um, significant diet changes. And in fact, most oncologists don't even suggest uh, that diet is a factor, even though I just read you uh, multiple articles on how 
just one herbicide is causing cancer in a good hunk of our population. So why aren't oncologists looking at this? Well, we got to go back to 1979. There was a court case called Rutherford versus United States. Now, this is huge because the United States Supreme Court is supposed to interpret what the founding fathers wanted or what they intended with the Constitution to solve problems. <clears throat> and this fellow goes up and says, hey, look, I should be able to choose anything. I'm an American. If I want to do vegetable juice or inject high-dose vitamin C, I should be able to choose it. And I think the founding fathers would agree. Well, guess what? The Supreme Court agreed with him that he could choose any therapy that he wants. Quote, Does he not possess a further right to enlist such non-toxic treatments, however unconventional, as he finds to be of comfort, particularly where recommended by his physician? Amazing, end of quote. So I'm thinking, yeah, absolutely, that makes perfect sense. However, the FDA, Food and Drug Administration, appealed the Supreme Court and they reversed their decision. That's right. Now, the FDA used to be called the Chemistry Board. Now, this is the, the board of, um, that was um, formed in order to communicate from the chemical industry to be a liaison to the public so that they could assure that the chemicals that the chemical industry was producing was safe. Now, the FDA said, quote, FDA's position that terminal cancer patients must be insured a therapeutic gain and that only FDA-approved uh, approval can assure such a gain. The opinion also stated that the FCDA standards do not apply to terminally ill patients. The FDA could ultimately lose authority over all drugs, end of quote. So it's actually a court case that's hamstringing your doctor from being a real doctor. That's right. They have to promote surgery, chemotherapy, and chemotherapy because that's all that's out there, according to them. So let's look at how effective chemotherapy and how the, the, the politics of cancer. Dr. Robert Adkins, quote, there's not one but many cures for cancer available but they are all being systematically suppressed by the American Cancer Society and the National Cancer Institute and the majority of oncology centers. They have too much of an interest in the status quo. Samuel Epstein, quote, we are not dealing with a scientific problem. We're dealing with a political issue. Now, there are a number, a number of effective therapies out there that your doctor cannot tell you about. Okay, we're looking at Gerson, vitamin B17 or Laetrile, vitamin B6, Brzezinski, uh, eliminating toxin, rave diet. Um, uh, I mean, all the things that can cause cancer, like diet changes. You can also do ozone therapy, hydrogen peroxide therapy, hyperbaric chamber, e detoxing. There's a tremendous amount of things you could do. We just had a patient uh, came in yesterday after three months of doing a massive diet change, he had stage four cancerous tumor that metastasized to his chest wall. After four months of doing the diet change, it was eliminated. I encourage you to look at all of the, the websites out, out there, such as The Truth About Cancer, and this will also give you an insight. But let's look at the data on 
um, chemotherapy. Okay, because now if uh, cancer is a disease of metabolism, a metabolic disease, and sure enough, it doesn't take long to do a search, get on Google Scholar and search cancer as a metabolic disease, they did at, in 1992 a biomed pharmacotherapy review, chemotherapy of advanced epithelial cancer. Now, what they say is apart from small cell lung cancer, there is no direct evidence that chemotherapy uh, prolongs survival in advanced carcinoma. Um, quote, many oncologists take it for granted that response to therapy prolongs survival, an opinion which is based on fallacy and not supported by clinical studies. Uh, quote, there is no good scientific basis for the application of chemotherapy in symptom-free patients with advanced malignancy. In fact, oncologists were given a, a questionnaire. 79 doctors responded, and they were asked if they would choose <clears throat> chemotherapy themselves. 81% they would not choose chemotherapy. Now, you've got to figure some of these chemotherapy drugs, they're making over $100 million a year. And, in fact, of the respondents, 73% found that all the trials in question, okay, for chemotherapy, were unacceptable due to the ineffectiveness of chemotherapy and its uh, unacceptably high degree of toxicity. Let's look at Dr. Hardin Jones. Now, he's professor of medical physics and physiology at University of California. Quote, my studies have proven conclusively that untreated cancer victims actually live up to four times longer than treated individuals. For a typical cancer, um, people who refuse treatment lived for an average of 12 and a half years. However, those uh, who accepted surgery or other kinds of treatments lived an average of only three years. I attribute this to the traumatic effect of surgery on the body's natural defense mechanism. The body has natural defense against every type of cancer. End of quote. Then you look at the Clinical Oncology Journal. Quote, the title of the article, The Contribution of, um, con contribution of Cytotoxic Chemotherapy to Five-Year Survival in Adult Malignancies. <clears throat> now, before we get into the, the, the article... You got to understand that that so many people were dying so rapidly, and it was completely ineffective that they arbitrarily put a five-year survival rate. So if you went through chemotherapy, you died at year five and a half, you were considered a survivor. If you went through chemotherapy, you you survived five years, but you developed a secondary cancer from the chemo, you were still considered a survival. So this is the only disease in the world that they have a five-year finish line. Um, and then they consider that you're a survivor. Okay, so we know that there's politics. But here, quote from this article, the overall contribution was the sum total of absolute numbers showing a five-year survival benefit expressed as a, a percentage of total um, for 22 malignancies. What they found was that it was about 2.3% effective in Australia and 2.1% in the United States. To, just, to justify the continued funding and availability of drugs used in cytotoxic chemotherapy 
a rigorous evaluation of the cost effectiveness and impact on quality of life is urgently required. Now, end of quote, think of that. It's 2% effective, 2% at five years. So that means you're poisoning these people, <clears throat> poisoning these people for something that's 2% effective. Why doesn't it work? Because it's not something attacking the body. It's a metabolic disease. So let's look at some other things. How about antibiotics? We know antibiotics are in poisonous mold. We know antibiotics are located in our food supply. Well, sure enough, it turns out that if you look at the American Journal of Epidemiology, uh, they say that non-Hodgkin's lymphoma cases are the result of antibiotic use. And in fact, they also say that non-steroidal anti-inflammatories can also increase non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Now, we're not going to go through all of the different drugs that uh, cause a weakening of the immune system. Let's just look at the antibiotics, non-steroidal anti-inflammatories. Let's look at uh, statin drugs, cholesterol-lowering drugs. Now, here's the problem, that most cholesterol-lowering drug trials don't go on more than two to three years, and it can take a lot longer to develop cancer. Uh, now, the CARE trial, now this is for breast cancer, it found out that those people taking statin drugs, it increased 1,500%. Uh, the heart protection study showed an increase of non-melanoma skin cancer. And the fact is that statins depress uh, the, the immune system and can lead to cancer and other infectious diseases. If you look at the Journal of the American Medical Association, um, cholesterol-lowering drugs are linked to prostate cancer. Quote, longer-term clinical trials and careful post-marketing surveillance during the next several decades are needed to determine whether cholesterol-lowering drugs cause cancer in humans. Uh, they even go in to say, in the meantime, the results of experiments in animals and humans suggest that lipid-lowering drug treatment, especially with the fibrates and statins, should be avoided. It's a mind-boggling. So when we look at this, cancer is a metabolic disease. I mean, Dr. Thomas Seyfried, world-renowned researcher in the field of genetics and biochemistry, uh, he says that it's an, an, a, a metabolic disease. So that means that we have a poisoning of our population, and it's the poisoning that's causing the cancer. And it's not just being attacked by some virus, fungus, or pathogen. And in fact, they did uh, a few studies, uh, and the journal was called Mutation Research, Genetic Toxicology, and Environmental Mutagenesis. Now, this was published in 2002. They went through 39 different chemicals used in food additives, and they fell into six categories, dyes, colors, uh, preservatives, antioxidants, fungicides, and sweeteners. And so they tested them, and they found out, sure enough, that they induce DNA damage in the glands, stomach, colon, urinary bladder. And they, well, here's the, the final word in the article. Based on these results, we believe that more extensive assessment of food additives is currently warranted. No kidding, because the food additives can cause cancer. Uh, let's look at the Journal of Nutrition and Metabolism, Cancer as a Metabolic Disease. Quote, nearly all cancers, regardless of cellular and tissue in origin, 
emergent evidence indicates that it's impaired cellular energy metabolism. Okay, when we look at the end of this article, quote, a view of cancer has primarily a metabolic disease will impact approaches to cancer management and prevention. That makes perfect sense. When we look at uh, Nature's Review Urology, quote, mutations in each of these kidney cancer genes is the result of dysregulation of metabolic pathways involving oxygen, iron, energy, nutrient sensing, suggesting that kidney cancer is a disease of cell metabolism. Uh, when we look at this as one article after another article after another article, all talking about how cancer is a metabolic disease. Look, look at the British Journal of Nutrition, Nutrition and Early Life and Risk of Cancer, um, an alternative to the epigenetic tale. Um, cardiovascular disease, metabolic disease, and cancer all have a common origin in the developmental changes introduced develop, um, in the developing fetus. Uh, so they go in and say, look, if you are pregnant, if you're putting toxins in the pregnant mom, it can negatively affect the kid and that can affect his life. So cancer is a metabolic disease. So what can you do? Um, first, let's look at what we have on this planet. Um, let's look at tomatoes. And we're talking organic, organic, healthy tomatoes. Uh, and this can also be watermelons, pink grapefruit, red bell peppers. And again, they all have lycopene in it, which is a powerful weapon against prostate cancer. Why? Because it gives your body the nutrients it means it needs. The lycopene literally stops cancer cells from growing. What about spinach? Um, dark green leafy vegetables, kale, collard greens. Again, these are good for mouth cancers, esophageal cancers, stomach cancers, ovarian uh, cancers, lung, colorectal cancers. What about garlic, leeks, chives, scallions, colon cancer, stomach cancer? What about carrots? Now, these can be eaten cooked or juiced. Fantastic for cancers of the esophagus, stomach, the cervix. What about berries, blueberries, cranberries, blackberries? raspberries and again always they got to be organic they have uh, anthocyanins um, phenomenal for eliminating colon cancer lung cancer uh, cancers in the mouth esophagus stomach uh, vitamin d get outside okay high vitamin d levels have been shown to decrease pancreatic cancer breast cancer colon cancer rectal cancer and what about uh, turmeric? When you look at curcumin, okay, and, and we're talking just the standard curcumin turmeric that's used in so many different di dishes, it turns out um, pancreatic cancer is almost lethal uh, in the U U.S. And the Food and Drug Administration only approves chemotherapy. However, what they found out in phase two clinical trials of using curcumin in patients with advanced pancreatic cancer, that it worked. It worked. So just appropriate spices. So there are alternatives out there. Healthy, safe, effective alternatives. And your doctor cannot tell you because of a court case back in 1979 because the chemistry board, oh, that's their old name. It's really the FDA. But the chemistry board, or the Food and Drug Administration now, only approved toxic chemicals 
<laughs> built by their uh, masters, okay? Because the FDA, if anyone ever asked, do you know how many drugs the FDA tests a year? None. They're not a testing agency. The people that make these drugs, that make the chemotherapy, that make the glyphosates, they're the ones that do the testing. So you got the hen in, in, surrounded by foxes. The fox is not in the hen house. This is just an insane system. We need independent studies, and we need freedom to choose any medical procedure that you want. So if you want to go in and get chemotherapy and poison yourself and do heroic medicine, great. If you want to put high-dose vitamin C, if you want to radically alter your nutrition intake, if you want to strengthen your immune system um, through any means possible, if you want to start doing healthy curcumin and alter your metabolism, since cancer is a metabolic disease, you should be able to do it. You should be able to choose what happens to your own body. Now, we're going to have all the facts, all the data, all the research tonight. I encourage you to start taking charge of your health. Do not be a victim. This is not um, bad luck or bad genes to get this. This is earned. Now, I recommend you get on our website, the drjohnbergman.com site, and sign up for the cruise. The cruise is coming up in about seven months. But also, we're going to have all this at Extreme Health Academy. So go to ExtremeHealthAcademy.com. We've got tons of classes and webinars. The information is out there. How do you defeat ignorance by giving information? How do you change belief systems? Belief systems are based on past knowledge and, and, and new knowledge. So this new knowledge is going to change your belief system. This is Dr. John Bergman. God bless you, and I love you.